and go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you would, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we'll be at. We're going to be doing a 10-week series. Um, it'll end the end of May, so I would encourage you to be faithful. There are handouts. If you did not receive a handout, I know earlier the ushers were trying to reserve them for families. If you wanted a handout and you weren't able to get one, raise your hand. They have them, and they'll get them to you. It, there also, we also have some pens. If you need a pen, Mr. Wicklund has some pens. Just hold your hand up, and we'll get that to you. I want to encourage you. We put it in a format. Uh, Pastor Burden proposed doing this. Put it in a format whereby you can uh, compile all the notes over the next 10 weeks. And um, uh, each week we'll have a new handout. It's set up in a uh, kind of a three-ring style binder without the rings. And uh, you can add them in each week. So at the end of the series, you'll have in your hand, in your possession, all the notes that we've gone through together. And we're going to be looking at different Bible doctrines. Uh, we're not going to be able to cover every one of them in a 10-week period of time. I think anybody, any of us know that. That would be a lot to bite off. <laughs> All of the Bible doctrines, uh, that would be next to impossible. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at them with an overview. And for some of us, this will be the very first time we've ever considered some of these thoughts. And, uh, and I know it will be a help to us. But I want, I want to impress upon your heart this evening. I think if I could impress one thing upon your heart, I'd want it to be this. I want you to look at this book that you have in your hand. Uh, these words that make up the word of God. I want you to understand that this book is God's love letter to you. Okay? Now, maybe it's been a while since you received a love letter. <laughs> um, do they even send love letters anymore? Shailen, have you gotten any love letters lately? Oh, just emails. <laughs> just, just emails. And I'm sure, I'm sure your mom's all over those emails, so I'm glad. Watch out for those love emails. So I want to ask you how many of you have had a love letter recently, but God's word is that. Now, when we look at books of the Bible like Leviticus, um, you might be prone to forgetting that this is God's love letter to you. But still, every word of God, every one of God's words are precious. They are eternal. And one thing I'm going to mention later this evening is this. This is kind of a blow your mind thought. A title, this will give you something to ponder for a while. And that is this, that the word of God is eternal. It actually existed before it was ever penned down by earthly men. It existed in heaven before God ever breathed out his love letter through men, holy men of God that then penned them down. And we have them before us today. So I want you to know the Bible is God's love letter to you. And so we're going to be looking at bibliology. That's the ology means study of. Biblia means the Bible, study of the Bible. We'll be looking at it over the next two weeks. We'll do it in two parts. And I would entitle this one, The Wonderful Word of God. I ask you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verse number 15, if you would. 2 Timothy chapter 3 in verse number 15. I'm going to read down through verse number 17. The Bible says there, 
And that from a child, Paul is writing to Timothy, he says, From a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Phil, I'm going to ask you to stand right where you're at. If you just ask God's blessing upon our time of study now, looking at this doctrine of the Bible. Amen. All right, so I want to start out. We'll look at the purpose of God's Word there in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We looked at it just a moment ago. Look again at verse number 16, and we're answering the question, what is the purpose of God's Word? Uh, In verse 16, he says, all Scripture, all of it, and we believe that does mean all, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. All of it is profitable. For what? For doctrine? for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. This is the purpose of God's Word we're we're considering now. I think there are two primary purposes of God's Word. One is the revelation of God. The revelation of God. Now, how many of you believe that there is a God? Could I see your hand? You believe that there is a God. All right, you put your hands down. But how do you know there is a God? How, how do you know there's a God? I mean, we all we all say, well, I believe there's a God. But how many of us would could answer the question, well, how do I know that there's a God? How do I know that God exists? And there are three different ways that man, that God has revealed himself to mankind. Three different ways. And I'm going to uh, we're going to look at them here this evening. Um, the first way is creation. Creation. That's a blank in your handout, I believe. Creation. A creation must have a creator, right? Um, uh, a design, something that has uh, something that has a design to it. A beautiful design always has a designer. You don't want me to design your house. Not the uh, not the mechanical part of it. You don't want me to design that part. You don't want me to design your kitchen. And after it's all put together and the roof's on it, you don't want me to pick out the colors for your house. I can just tell you that. You don't want me designing your house in any way. But when we look around at creation, we see that it has design. Uh, incredible, intricate design. We see that it's a, it's a creation and it has a creator. And we call this general revelation. Nature points to the handiwork of a supreme being. Uh, when we look at creation, we, we, we understand that there's somebody out there a whole lot smarter than me and a whole lot smarter than you. And when we look at creation, we realize uh, who, whoever this is, uh, they're, well, I'm going to get ahead of myself here for just a moment, but they're amazing. They're powerful. They're incredible. They've been able to accomplish something that I myself could never accomplish, and not me and and ten others like me, or a hundred, or a community, 
could not possibly do what this creator has done. So God, by creation, has revealed himself to us. You know, we can tell a lot about the creator by looking at the creation. If I were to come to your garage and you let me rummage around through your garage, it would tell me a lot about you, wouldn't it? I could come in there, I could see what kind of car you drive or maybe multiple vehicles you have, and that'd tell me a little bit about you. If I got to go inside your vehicle, that would tell me a little bit more about you. Or I could look at some of the hobbies you have and maybe some of the projects you've started and haven't finished. I have a few of those around. There's still a gift that I have for Cindy that's sitting on my workbench. Uh, she wanted a, you know, one of those logs, a log that was cut thin and then sanded smooth and then you use it as a decoration to set something else on. And so I've gotten it for her months and months and months ago. And it's still sitting on the workbench yet to be completed. <laughs> and some of you are like that. You've got things that are, it's not a surprise. We've already presented it to her and it's not finished form. But uh, some of you are like that. You, and if we were to rummage through one another's garages or maybe go into each other's homes, it would tell a lot. It'd be, it'd be very revealing. We'd look around. We could get to know each other a little bit better. I'm not proposing that. But our hobbies and, and uh, our tools and how they're worn or how they're not worn, they reveal a lot about us. And so, too, does God's creation reveal a lot to us about him. Now, what are some attributes of God? Uh, what are some things about God that we know and understand through his creation? Help me out here. What did you say? Love. I don't know if we could learn that from his creation. Um, I mean, after all, the world looks, and that I appreciate that's a good thought. I think you know that because of the Bible. Because through creation, what do we see? We see animals ripping into one another. Uh, we, see, we, see, uh, we see storms destroying people's homes and lives. Um, and, and by the way, I think sometimes people without the Bible only looking at creation... They sometimes say this, something like this, if there is a God, he, they don't think he's loving. So what are some other things, though? And Sherry's getting ahead of us in the notes, always trying to be the head of the class, Sherry. <laughs> uh, yes, all the way in the back, Andrea. His power. How would we know? And I think there's some blanks here. Uh, there, I think I had six blanks in mind that I filled out, but... Power, that certainly, the Bible says that God is omnipotent, but the simple word would be power. He's powerful. And, and what are some things that we see in nature or creation that tell us that the creator of that is powerful? What are some things that we see? Storms, yeah. Uh, we, if you've ever been through a hurricane or maybe an earthquake or a tornado, this immense power and you, you realize there's somebody greater than me. I'm pretty small. Cer certainly power. All right. Another attribute of God that we that we understand or we we can see a little bit of who God is based upon creation. Somebody else help me out. Samantha His wisdom. That's excellent. Samantha Good job His wisdom. And how would we see God's wisdom through creation? Wisdom is knowledge. Uh, put into practice. So God understands science, doesn't he? Mathematics. I mean, everything is he, everything is working smoothly together. The whole universe 
declares that he is wise beyond human comprehension. Somebody else, something else. Wisdom, you could write that one down. Power, something else. Yes. Marin, he's a, good, he's a god of order. And when you look at creation, you realize that God is a god of order. He's orderly. Somebody else. Name something else. Yes, Mr. May. Purpose. He has a purpose in what he does or for what he does. Someone else I heard up here said art, artistic. Yeah, I think so. He's artistic. He's creative. He's creative. Some of us are not creative. Others of us are very creative. But God is creative. Some Somebody else. These are just things that we learn just... Uh, what did you say? He's faithful. All-knowing. He knows all things. I'm going to give you a couple of others that I wrote down. He's orderly. You mentioned that. He does things on purpose. How about he's, uh, he's a God of diversity? A lot of diversity. Um, I look at humanity. I look at his, his creation. There's, su there's such diversity in his creation. I put down majestic. He's a majestic God. I think of the sunrises and sunsets. I think of the, uh, the snow-covered mountains. I think of these places of immense beauty. I wrote down he's a, he's a God. He has a sense of humor. I think you can see that in creation. Um, what are some animals that are funny looking? Help me out here. Yes. Yes, you. A what? An anteater. Now that's just a funny looking creature. Yeah, I think God has a sense of humor, also very practical. Yes, Jack? What's that? A star-nosed mole. Yeah, now that, aren't you glad we don't look like that? What's another creature that's just a skunk? Yeah, well, that's funny. It's not so funny when they spray you, I guess, or your dog. Yes. A platypus. Now that's a, I don't know, I, I think that that wasn't an accident, you know. I mean, a duck and a, it's a platypus, you know. I mean, that's the best name humans could come up with. I think there's a sense of humor there, Will. Can you think of a funny animal? A beaver? All right, well, yes, Carson. A blobfish? Some fish are funny looking, that is for sure. Have you been snorkeling and seen them up close? Yes, Balin. A hammerhead shark. So we could look around and some things just kind of go against why what any human being would ever design. But God designed these things. And I think he has a sense of humor. He's powerful, majestic, orderly, supreme, diverse. There's all kinds of things. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. I love that verse. It's just his handiwork. Just a little bit of handiwork. Six days of handiwork. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. God is amazing. And if, you look, if we look at creation and we say, we come to a conclusion, there has to be a creator. And we ask, and if we ask this question, who are you? Now, most of us in this room, we have the word of God. We have a copy of it. So we know a lot about God. But... Let's say we lived in an area of the world where we did not have a copy of God's Word. Maybe we'd never heard it taught before. 
We'd never heard it preached before. And all we had was creation. And we realized the sun comes up in the same area every day, and it sets in the same general area every evening. And we start to sense a rhyme and a reason. We see the beauty of the seasons. We see the, the amazing power of these storms. And we come to the conclusion that there is a God. By the way, all throughout civilization, civilizations all over the world and throughout history, people worship. Have you ever noticed that? People worship. They create religions. People who never heard of a church, who never owned a Bible, create religions. Why? Because God made us to worship. Sometimes people worship the creation, right? They worship the sun. They worship the rain. They make gods out of these things that God created. Uh, but if a person looks at the creation and realizes there is a creator, and they begin to ask the question out of a sincere heart, who are you? What is my purpose on this earth? Would you reveal yourself to me? God will give more truth and more revelation to that individual. And I would say this before we move on, always, and make this a practice of your life. I ought to make this a practice of my life. Always receive the truth that God gives you when he gives it to you. Don't ever turn it away. I'm speaking to some young people in this room. Um, whether you're maybe eight or nine or ten years old, whenever God reveals something to you, maybe through a sermon or maybe through your parents talking to you about God or maybe through a Bible class, when God reveals truth to you, say yes to that truth. Sometimes he's going to convict us about sin. Say yes to his revelation. Sometimes he's going to reveal a truth that you never understood before. But don't put it off. Because when you and I receive the truth of God, God always gives more truth. He always reveals more truth to us. And so that would be a prayer that I would have for us. I also notice here we need to move along as we're talking about the, the revelation of God and how we know that God exists. I also notice that an intuitive spirit. Now, this is something uh, also general revelation, creation. We know that there is a God because inside of man, God created us this way. Within every man, there is a belief. There's a blank there. There is there, a belief that causes man to want God and know God and believe that there is a God. And this is called general revelation. Nobody is born an atheist. If you ever talk to an atheist, you could ask them the question, when did you become an atheist? I have never had any atheist so-called tell me that they were born an atheist. Normally, they tell me when I was at college, something like that. I began to doubt that there was a God. And then the third uh, way that we know that there is a God is the Bible. And you see it there in your notes. This third type of revelation is called specific or special revelation. It is through God's word that we can know him best. The Bible is our source of truth. It tells us who God is. If you want to, need, if you want to know God, you have to go to the Bible. You, there's a lot that we can learn about God from creation. But if you want to know God, if I want to know God, I have to go to the Bible. Because the Bible is God's love letter to us. I also notice the second purpose for the word of God, not only the revelation of God revealing himself to mankind, but also I notice the redemption of man. 
the redemption of man. Look in your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. I want to read a passage of Scripture together with you. Romans chapter 10. Look at verse number 13. Verse number 13. I'm going to read down through verse 18. And the Bible reveals this, this, this truth about the redemption of man. This is not a truth, by the way, that you'll ever learn from the watching creation or studying it. In Romans chapter 10, in verse number 13, the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, that's a wonderful truth. But in verse 14, he asks a question. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And in this, in this context, he's not talking about uh, someone who holds the vocation of a pastor. He's talking about God's people who preach the gospel. In verse 16, he says uh, this, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The Bible is the object of our faith. In other words, we need it. I need the Bible. Uh, you need the Bible. It is life-giving. Creation is not enough. Um, we could never know how to be saved or what Christ did for us without the Bible. We could never know how to be saved. Think about that. Some of us take that for granted. We've known about that a long time. But we would never know how to be saved. And we would never know what Jesus Christ did for us in dying for us on the cross and suffering for us and being raised again from the dead if it were not for the Word of God. Also, number two, I noticed the object of our faith for salvation is found in the Word of God and what it says about our eternal destination. I'll say that again. There's a couple of blanks and a couple of big words in there. The object of our faith for salvation is found in the Word of God and what it says about our eternal destination. Do you know that if it were not for the Word of God, that every single one of us would die and go to hell for all of eternity if it were not for the Word of God? It's the Word of God, James says, that gives life. Peter talks about that as well. In fact, we, we've been studying it in, in the last couple of Sunday mornings. He talks about the Word of God is what, what gives life. And I love the Bible for it. I love it. I love the Word of God. You know, each week as a pastor, I get to study the Word of God, prepare sermons to preach them to you. And I have to say, sometimes I'm reminded that I am spoiled to have that privilege to provide for my family and be able to study the Word of God. It is a tremendous blessing. And you know, some of you, many of you, you have to go off each day and, and invest your time in other things that are not the Word of God, and yet you do them as unto the Lord. And don't forget, that is a ministry. Remember, if you do it with a heart of love. But do not take the time, no matter what you do, whether you're in school, whether you're a young person, or whether you're a mom, a single mom, or whether you're you have a husband and wife or grandparents, take time with God. Take time to be in his word, to read it. Without it, we would not be saved at all. 
So we've talked about the purpose of God's word, but secondly and finally this evening, I want to look at the procedure for, how, for God's word. How did we get it? How did we obtain it? I mean, where you say, well, I, my parents gave me mine. Okay, I know. Or maybe your grandparents gave you yours. But how did we get the Bible? Where did it come from? And uh, I want to answer that question here this evening. Look again, if you would, at 2 Timothy chapter 3 in verse number 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3 in verse... Go back to verse 15 again. Paul is writing to Timothy. And notice what happened. Paul shed some light. The Spirit of God reveals to us how Timothy got saved. It says in verse 15, and, and that from a child, talking about Timothy, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. How many, how many children here do we have here? We have a number of children here this evening. And, uh, and many of you have been in church your whole life. You are a very privileged person. Do you realize that? You're a very privileged person. Timothy was kind of like you in that way, that from a child, his mom had taught him the word of God. And it says there, he goes on to say, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You might ask me, when, when should I as a parent begin to teach my child the word of God? We have some people here, uh, Aaron and Catherine. We have some who don't have children yet. And, and uh, you're going to ask yourself that question. When, when is it time for me to begin teaching my children the word of God? And I would, I would actually advise that you do it before they're even born. <laughs> Aaron, someday when Catherine has a baby there in her tummy, you know what? You just lay down on the couch next to her and you just talk to that little baby. You, you just start telling them right then about the Lord and tell them about you and how you're, the baby's coming into the world. You're going to do your best as parents, but you're going to train them up to love God and know God. When that baby's small, bring them to church. Let them cry and disrupt the services. It's okay. It's all right. Um, when that baby is is just little, uh, and maybe they're you're just they're, they're forming words, and you're teaching them that's a tree, and there goes a big truck, and all those sorts of things. You know, when they're little, uh, expose them to the Word of God. Talk to them about God, and uh, as they get a little older. Uh, you can ask them questions like, who made the stars? Look at that. It's the moon. And you're not even sure they're seeing the moon. You know, they're focused on the street lamp next to it or something. Who made the moon? And teach them that God made the moon. Begin to teach them when they're a child that there is a God. And then teach them that God loves them. And he sent his son to die for them. And you know, the same, that happened in my life. I don't remember, my dad could probably give some insight on this, but... From a child, I knew the word of God. And if you're a child, a young person here, and your parents have seen it important enough to bring you tonight to hear the word of God, you are a tremendously blessed young person. Learn to love the word of God. Learn to love the word of God. Uh, he says here, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, we have a question here we have to answer. What does inspiration mean? I mean, what does it mean to be inspired? Um, some of us recently uh, were inspired to clean out our garages. But that's not the kind of inspiration Paul's talking about here. Uh, maybe you are inspired. Maybe we have some young people here who are inspired 
to clean their rooms yesterday. It was Saturday. You got, you woke up early and you thought to yourself, you know what, self, today is the day that I'm going to make my bed and organize my closet and clean my room. Or maybe you were inspired to uh, unload the dishwasher for your mother or, uh, or vacuum out your dad's truck. These are just small hints I'm throwing out there. But that's not the kind of inspiration that Paul's talking about here. You remember uh, Handel? Uh, he wrote Handel's Messiah. Was it 21 days he cloistered himself, I think? In the second story of an apartment. And he wrote um, Handel's Messiah. I think it was 21 days. He did not eat any food for 21 days. And that is a form of inspiration. But that is not what Paul is talking about here when he says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word inspiration here in our text, in verse number 16, really is made up of two parts. And, uh, and it, it means God breathed. God breathed. Two basic terms that I think we need to know and understand. Theos means God, and pneuma means breathe, and God breathed out his words to men who were right with him. I have a little exercise. It's almost impossible to speak without breathing. You say, well, Seth, I have to take your word for it because none of us can talk and you're the only one who gets to do any of the talking. So to help us with that, that's just not fair. Uh, let's do a little exercise together. But you have to put your hand up over your mouth like this, okay, only about an inch away. And then you repeat after me. I'm going to say a sentence or so. And then you're going to repeat it, and then I'll say another one, you'll repeat it, and then I'll say a third one, and you'll repeat it. And I want you to feel how it's basically impossible to speak without air or breath. Uh, this is not serious, but you need to do it, okay? Uh, Ryan, Ashley, I'm looking at you. Okay. All right. You ready? Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. Go ahead. Good. Can you feel the air? Don't put your hands down yet. Gary Lauterbaugh is enjoying this. He's going to do this when he goes to bed tonight. If Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers, go ahead. Where are the pickled peppers that Peter Piper picked? Did you feel any air? You're all laughing. This was the most spiritual thing we'll have done tonight. Did you feel the air? You breathe. When you speak, you breathe. Well, the Bible says, when you see the word inspiration, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. What it's saying is all scripture is God breathed. Okay? We're talking about where did we get God's word? Uh, it's breathed out. In other words, God breathed out the Bible in full. From Genesis to Revelation, God's word has always existed in heaven, the Bible says. In Psalm 119, and verse 89, it says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And there's a blank there. You'll want to fill it in. The Bible was in heaven before it was ever given to man. Do you realize that? Think about that. Psalm 23. Um, the Lord is my shepherd. Who penned down Psalm 23? David did. David was a shepherd, right? David penned down Psalm 23, but Psalm 23 was recorded in heaven 
before David ever was born. Now think about this. God made the man and developed the man that could then pen down the words of God. That is a miracle. That is a miracle. Now think about that. All of the word of God is actually, they are made up of God's words. So letter A, who wrote the Bible? Well, I didn't give you those. There, there it is. Who wrote the Bible? And I want you to look to 2 Peter, if you would, chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, look at verse number 20. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20 says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Here it is. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So where did we get the Bible? Well, the Bible is God's word. But God gave his word, his eternal word, to mankind, and he breathed it out to them. Now, we don't believe in what's called mechanical dictation, where there you have David sitting on a hillside, and, and God speaks to him, and he says, uh, the, David says, the, writes it down, Lord, Lord, is, is, my, what'd you say? My. He didn't, that's not, that would be mechanical dictation. That's not how he got the Bible. God created men. He worked in their lives. Men like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Jeremiah had to endure tremendous hardship to be able to be in the position and place ready for God to give his word, the book of Jeremiah, from heaven through Jeremiah to mankind. Think about that. How about Hosea? Hosea had to endure tremendous, tremendous hardship in this life. God ordained it for him so that Hosea could learn and be molded and shaped and be ready to receive God's message for, for mankind through a man named Hosea. Think about this. David, uh, a shepherd, yes, but David, you also read Sometimes there are imprecatory psalms and there are other psalms where he's just pouring out his heart. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. So it wasn't always, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God moves in the affairs of men, mankind, in the affairs of people's lives in a very personal, in a very intricate way. He makes no mistakes. And again, I say to you, the word of God that you hold in your hand is one of the, if not the greatest miracle of all times. It is an incredible, incredible miracle. God used holy men of God. God used 40 different men to pen down his special revelation over a period of 1600 years. This is one of the greatest miracles ever. Um, the book of Revelation was penned down in about AD 90, 95 or, some, or so. All 66 books of the Bible were penned down within a period of about 1,600 years. So that means um, 
1500 BC to AD 90, 95. 1600 years, 1600 years. John had never met Job <laughs> to compare notes. Moses had never met Luke to compare notes. A lot of these guys had never met. And yet the entire word of God, all 66 books of the Bible, all agree perfectly. It is because the word of God has one author. And that author is God. The penmen are the men that God used. It's amazing to consider the, the, the various backgrounds and occupations of these men that God used as well. Now, what are some of the occupations of the penmen of the Bible? Help me out. A king, some kings. Um, I think of a couple of kings. David would be one. Nebuchadnezzar. God used Nebuchadnezzar to pen down part of the Bible. A doctor in Luke. Yeah. A tax collector. Whoa. The IRS has its hands in everything. Um, now, these are some blanks here. You can write these in. Tax collector, king. Uh, somebody else. I saw a hand over here, I thought. Yes. A tent maker in the Apostle Paul. That's exactly right. Somebody else, Sherry? Fishermen. Yeah, several fishermen. Peter, James, John. You know, uh, these fishermen. So you've got kings involved. You've got doctors involved. You've got tax collectors involved, Joel. Can you think of one? Prophets. That's right. God used prophets. Isaiah. Uh, Jeremiah. Different, different, different men. Uh, how, about, how about a farmer? Hosea. He was a uh, fruit farmer. God used Hosea. How about shepherds? Moses was a shepherd. Remember? 40 years on the backside, shepherding. That was his preparation for leading a whole nation and forming a whole nation. <laughs> uh, it's not a four-year degree. It's going to be a 40-year degree. And you got to work with sheep in the backside of Midian. <laughs> I mean, God uses these different things. And by the way, he uses different things in our lives as well, doesn't he? We don't all go to the same college. Some of us don't go to college at all. And yet God is molding us and shaping us to be what he wants us to be. So shepherds, farmers, fishermen, tent makers, king, prophets, doctor, tax collector. I wrote down even he used men who were murderers before they were saved. In David's life, he used a murderer. You remember he killed Uriah. He used Paul, who before he was saved was named Saul wreaking havoc in the church. And God used all of these men. God used holy men to pen down his word, but God is the author of the Bible. Letter B, notice God gave every word he wanted to, man to have through a procedure called inspiration. The blank there is every. God gave every word he wanted us to have through a procedure called inspiration. Whenever you see the word inspiration in the Bible, where you find it, it means God, what? Breathe. God breathe. So it's not a matter of, I'm feeling inspired. You know, I'm just, I don't know what I ate for breakfast, but I had three eggs. And, whew, you know, I'm ready to go out and do something. Give me some, give me the quill, honey. I'm ready to write. No, that's not what happened. Okay. God molded and shaped men during hard times in their lives 
men who are walking with God, men who are fully surrendered to God, whatever your will is, Lord, have your will in my life. And God, at that point in their lives, he revealed his eternal word through them. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. And by the way, if God can do that through these men, 40 men with all kinds of backgrounds, if God can accomplish that through them, God's will can be accomplished in your life and in mine. No matter the hardship we're going through, no matter the trial, no matter the temptations, God can accomplish his will in us. So it means God breathed. Uh, Look again at verse number 16 in 2 Timothy. Verse 16 in 2 Timothy. Again, he says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, we're going to get to those profitabilities of the Bible, why the word of God is profitable in just a moment. But God breathed out his word by his spirit. Second uh, Peter 1.21 talks about that. And I'm going to ask Pastor Toman if he'd come up here. Now, we've already talked, we did the, the Peter, uh, Peter Piper picked a peck of pickle. We're going to stop that. But you remember that, okay? So breathed, okay? Pastor Toman, how many uh, instruments can you play? I don't know. <laughs> you don't know? You're just being modest? You probably recount the number every night, breakfast and lunch. I know I can't play the flute, Kathy. I can't do it. Can't play the flute, okay? I hyperventilate. So what I want Pastor Tolman to uh, illustrate for us is this idea of God used different penmen. He, one individual, God breathed out through different penmen. And you'll find in the Word of God, that the different books of the Bible carry with them the personalities of the men, which is amazing. God God doesn't expect us all to look alike, be cookie cutter. Uh, He breathes, he works through each of us. And in the case of the inspiration of the Word of God, he breathed through each of these men. So do you have any instruments with you? I have a pitch pipe. Is that an instrument? I don't know. All right, well, breathe through it. Okay, that's one. That's some hot air passing through a pitch pipe. All right. Do you have anything else? Okay, not into the mic for all of our sakes. It's a cornet. Okay, can you play that on the pitch pipe too? No. Yes, I can, but it takes a while. <laughs> I get dizzy going around and around. How many of you thought that was a trumpet? <laughs> I did. <laughs> did you have anything it's, else with it's you? It's similar. Anything high-end? or? I have uh, two instruments here. They're called penny whistles. I think you pay more than a penny for them. But this one we tend not to play anymore. Last time we had it out, uh, Laura Lee was playing with it and and playing around with it, and Kelsey picked her up. This was years ago. And Kim Lang, where are you at? You might remember this. And Kelsey had picked her up and was carrying her down the steps, and this went into the drywall, and then this went across her eyeball, right across the right across the eye. So we ended up at McLaren, and uh, Kim was the gal in charge that night. Thankfully, Laura Lee can still see out of her eye. So this is the C, uh, penny whistle in key of C. It's a little damaged, so... I don't like to use that one too much, but thank you for that uh, confession. 
But this is very similar, a little smaller, a little higher pitch. Instead of the key of C, it's the key of D. But uh, we picked these up in Ireland when we were over there and uh, or learned that, so I'll try my best. Right? Okay, so the pitch pipe, if we're counting that as an instrument, and then a penny whistle, and then a look-alike trumpet. <laughs> but if we had other instruments here, like a clarinet, or a saxophone, or a trombone, you see, or whatever, anything that takes air, the illustration would hold the same meaning. And that is, you can, you're dismissed, you can go, you don't have to. But it has the same idea. One source of air and different sounds coming out of each instrument. And that's what God did with the Word of God. He breathed out His Word through different instruments. And that's really what we are. We're instruments. We're not the source of anybody's salvation. Um, these men were not the source of the Word of God. They were just instruments. And just like God used them, God, want, God wants to use us, not to write down more of Scripture, Okay, it's, it's complete. But uh, God breathed out his word by his spirit. So you can have a person who can blow right into the flute or trumpet or trombone or tuba. The sounds are very different. It's God working through different instruments. Now, the same breath of God, and that's a blank in your handouts, the same breath of God went into different individuals and created an orchestra with perfect harmony called the word of God. Word of God is your blank. All 66 books are in perfect harmony. There's one more point here. Point number two. God's word is profitable. God's word is profitable. We read it, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, that God's word is profitable for doctrine. The word doctrine means teaching or right teaching. It says that the word of God is profitable for reproof. Reproof is conviction. Conviction, God telling us where we're wrong. Now, this is what you ought to expect out of the Word of God. This is what I ought to expect. I once heard a man say, uh, and I don't, I can't say I really cared for the analogy, but he said, uh, "Tell me, describe a message, a sermon that's a home run." And I, I don't know, I don't know how to describe that. That was where I was at that time. And he said, "This is what I think a sermon that's a home run has." And he says it has doctrine, it has reproof, it has correction, that's rest, restoring someone to an upright state, and it has instruction in righteousness, that is training that leads someone to be able to do what is right. Have you ever, have you ever found yourself corrected by someone else, maybe an employer, and they said, that's not how you do that, but you were like, well, could you please show me how to do it? Well, the Word of God does all of that. It reproves us sometimes. It corrects us. It instructs us in how we can live. So how is the Bible profitable to us? Well, verse number 17 of 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. That's a pretty amazing statement. That's the profitability of the Word of God. That you and I would grow and be mature to be able to glorify the Lord no matter what time in the history of the world we're living in, and that we be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God's word is the foundation for everything that we believe and practice. 
I have a friend who's a pastor, and in his Bible, he has written before Genesis, dear, and he put his name. At the end of Revelation, he put, love God. Know this, this book is God's love letter to you. And it is the way that we know who God is. And it is by this book that we are saved. It is by this book that we are sanctified, set apart. And that it's by this book that we're able to serve the Lord. I'm going to ask somebody if they close this in prayer. Jeff Lang, would you please stand and close this in prayer, please? And then there we have some food down in the, uh, in the fellowship hall. A couple of ping pong tables are set up. Uh, Phil McBride says he can beat anybody. Uh, so, Jeff, would you pray, please? Amen. You are dismissed. Come on down to the fellowship hall.